Hey everybody, this is Daniel Patrick. This is episode number 54 of the Mandolins of Beer podcast, brought to you in part by my favorite website. They had an incredible article on Dominic Leslie, the Mandolin Cafe. Be sure to go there and check that article out. It's just great stuff. It's also brought to you by Peghead Nation. The Peghead Nation streaming video courses in mandolin, guitar, banjo, fiddle, dobro, ukulele, and bass. You'll learn bluegrass, old time, and other styles from some of the most talented players and instructors in roots music. PegheadNation.com features a great lineup of mandolin instructors with courses including Beginning Mandolin, Intermediate Bluegrass Mandolin, and the brand new course, the Bluegrass Mandolin Fingerboard with Sharon Gilchrist. You got Bluegrass Mandolin Jam Favorites and the Advancing Mandolinist with Joe K. Walsh, Monroe Style Mandolin with Mike Compton, Melodic Mandolin Tunes with John Reichman, Chord Melody Mandolin with Aaron Weinstein, Irish Mandolin with Marla Feibisch, Theory for Mandolin and Fiddle, but Chad Manning courses include high-quality multi-angle video lessons, downloadable notation and tab, play-along tracks, and plenty of tunes and songs to play. Join any of Peghead Nation's video courses now and get the first month for free. Just go to PegheadNation.com and use the promo code MANDOLINBEER, all one word, at checkout. Thank you, Peghead Nation. And also, thank you. This episode's also sponsored by Northfield Instruments. Northfield makes some incredible mandolins, and you can check them out at their website, Northfield Mandolins. Let's make more than a mandolin together. All right. Part one was epic. And actually, how about that Into the Cauldron episode uh, that came out on Friday with Mike Marshall? Those are some great stories as well. Thank you all for the great feedback. Thank you to the people who signed up, signed up for the uh, Patreon. Really, really appreciate that. It's patreon.com slash mandolinsandbeer. I got two more videos, one on chromatic exercises for the 10 minutes a day and, um, and another little one. I'm not sure what to call it yet, but it's just a, it's a cool picking technique to help you um, overcome when you have to switch between downstrokes and upstrokes. And there'll be video and tab for that stuff at uh, the Patreon page. You can also go to mandolinsbeer.com and drop me a message, and you can get merch. And I would say see where I'm playing, but there's there's really nowhere. Uh, <laughs> so so hit that Patreon page or get some merch. That'd be great. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. If you're on the Instagram or Facebook, be sure to follow Mandolins and Beer. Let's get into part two of this episode with Sierra Hall. Oh, by the way, at the end of this episode, I am playing the new track that Sierra Hall is featured on that just came out on the EP by Corey Wong from Wolfpack. They just put out, a, or he just put out a song with uh, Feely as well, but he just put out this EP and it's got Sierra. And I thought, well, hey, man. Is it cool if I play this song at the end of the podcast? And Corey said, yes, thanks. So thank you, Corey. What a nice guy. And thank you for listening. Let's get into part two with Sierra Hall. When we left off last time, we are just starting to talk about the recording of her first album. So let's dive in there. Talk to y'all real soon. Cheers. Um, on your first album, I think the thing that really gets me is like, like, like a song like Smashville, with like just all these like it's got such a cool chromatic little thing in there, and it's just like what were some of the influences on this first album? Because obviously you're a big bluegrass fan, but like some of these instrumentals, I mean, well, even the songs, you know, there's just stuff in there that isn't like, um, I mean, even not so much like a Sam Bush tune, and you know, as 
amazing as those instrumentals are, it's just like, whoa, what, what's all the, what's all this chromaticism and <laughs> different things like that. So, what, you know, was that also a little bit of like experimental stuff getting in there from school or did you record secrets before you started school? I was in high school when I recorded secrets. I made that album when I was 15. Get out um, of here. And <laughs> That's amazing. No, I did. It's like, it's, I've been really slow to make records starting at that very first one. So, <laughs> so it's just been, you know, gaps in between, in between doing the projects. So yeah, I was a junior in high school when I made that record with Ron Block, uh, helping me with that project. So certainly feels like a long time ago now. Wow. That's crazy. <laughs> but, but I feel like, you know, I've always, I've always been influenced by people that, um, have been influenced by other people. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, that's a very lame way to say that because, of course, we're all influenced by other people, people, people in other genres, <laughs> people in other genres. So I'm just right. like, it's not like like if I listen to like, let's say Ron Block, who I feel like has been one of the biggest musical heroes to me. Uh, Ron Block, the longtime guitar player, banjo player with Allison Krauss, for those that don't know. Um, but but Ron was somebody that I met early on, got to make this record with him. You know, it's like I couldn't even drive when we were working on this record. So I remember like, you know, these trips to these trips to Nashville and his his wife Sandra and his kids like just hanging at their house for, you know, weekends working on this record and, and trying to finish it. And uh just, you know, the incredible experience of like, okay, we we would work on the record and then we'd sit around and jam a while and then we'd take a break from working on the record because he has a home studio as well where we uh did like finishing touches on the record and so anyway we'd just be you know kind of hanging out and like not only had I like poured over every Alison Krauss album he'd been a part of through the years so it's like you know his playing couldn't have been more familiar to me but also getting to just like hang out with somebody like that firsthand and, and play music and um you know Somebody like Ron has had influences that span far beyond bluegrass, too. You know, so if you think about how how the trickle-down effect kind of works in that regard where you have a hero, that they have their heroes, and their heroes may be pulling from, you know, five different musical genres or, you know, places. And then that goes into the music they make that goes into you combined with all the other stuff you're listening to. So I think, you know, even though I was mostly listening to bluegrass um, at that time as a 15 year old and really invested in, in trying to learn everything I could and be as good as I could be at that particular style of music. It's not like I wasn't also getting, you know, both direct and indirect influences from from other people that I loved and, and had a chance to play with. Is there anything really surprising in that, uh, in, in those years that you were listening to that people would be like, Oh wow, Sierra, I'll listen to that. Oh, surprising. I mean, you know, I have an older brother. We would jam, we would jam out from everything from like, you know, Nickel Creek to Green Day to, um, you know, <laughs> Merle Haggard. I don't know. It's like, you know, just like all kinds of stuff that yeah. we would, that we would listen to, um, riding back and forth to school. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, you know, sure. Because you, you posted yourself on Instagram doing like, is it polyphia? Didn't, didn't you put yourself, uh, doing that? Oh, is that polyphia, how you say that? Yeah. 
Pardon? I think it's Polyphia. Polyphia. Honestly, Thank you. Yeah, I didn't Polyphia, know how to say it. Yeah. I think. But I was like, whoa. Yeah, but what's <laughs> so here's I know here's what's funny about that. Sometimes I feel like I post something like that, you know, just on a whim. Yeah. Like literally that was just like I was sitting here working on this and so I was like, Okay, well I'll post this video. And then, you know, people are like, Oh my gosh, like you're a fan of Polyphia, like, you know. But what's really funny is like I I like there I just recently discovered them because this guy that works for my management office, um, he he recommended uh me checking out this song called Forty Ounces. And so I was going through and I was just like, you know, he had mentioned this about like, oh, this would be sick on the mandolin. So I listened to it and I was like, man, this is so awesome. And I just kept <laughs> listening to it. And I was like, wow, this is so cool. I need to learn this. And so I just decided to learn it. But like literally I had no clue who the band was ah, at that's all hilarious. Yeah. until just like, you know, a couple, a couple months ago. And I still probably couldn't name you hardly any of their songs so it's very new to me too but i think everybody's just like oh yeah sierra must be heavily influenced by this but this is what i mean is like something can have an influence on you in a moment just by diving into one piece of music from mm-hmm. somewhere you yeah. know what i mean like Absolutely. no i i don't sit around and listen to a lot of like shredder metal or uh what was the term somebody somebody was saying oh my gosh i didn't know you were into uh oh gosh yeah, this is me. I don't even know the terminology. It was like some kind of like math. Oh, math rock? Did they call it math rock? Math rock, rock or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah, something like that. And I was like, I don't even know what that is. Like, cool. <laughs> or, or like, you know, it's like I've learned some classical pieces, but I'm not like some classical wizard playing, you know, everybody's just like, oh, Sierra must have really studied classical music. It's like, no, not really. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm into it. I'm playing some of this stuff, but, uh, you know. I certainly have just like a lot of interest in a lot of different areas, but like, you know, it's all still fresh and, and discovery for me uh, as well. It's not like I'm just really like, there's no genre of music I've dug into the same way I did in those early years as a bluegrass musician. I mean, I, you know, you need to live 10 lives to really be able to like invest that kind of time into every single genre, Yeah, you know? For sure. Um, so I think now, now it's just taken for me, taken the foundation of what bluegrass music gave me and continues to give me through, through playing these tunes and, and sort of the facility and things like that, that it really, I think requires to play a style of music like bluegrass really well. Um, but it, can give you an incredible foundation to be able to therefore explore all kinds of things and learn things um, that can contribute to your musicianship, you know, cause you kind of have the, the technique built in from, from learning a type of music like bluegrass. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. And it's also nice to like, just even if a kernel of that song that you just spent some time like, oh, this is cool. I'm going to work this out on mandolin. I love learning stuff that shouldn't be on mandolin. That's like one of my favorite things to do is be like, how can I play this on mandolin? It's just to be like, because it, shouldn't, yeah, it totally. shouldn't happen. But like, what if I get something cool out of it and can then write something where that just falls in? 
you know, I think that's that's the best part. Absolutely. So going from your, you know, those two albums into Weighted Mind, and then it's this very sparse thing. What was that like when you were recording that? Was it like a, like stressful? Was it like this freedom of doing what you wanted? What was that experience like? Because it's so different from the first two albums. Um, well, so I, I had originally gone in. Um, I have about five, five or six tracks that I recorded on my own, independent of Bela, before going that route and talking to him about working with me on the record. I actually went in and recorded a version of Weighted Mind. version of what became stranded um it was paired with another another tune but more is just a total instrumental piece uh wings of the dawn i'll be fine um you know there's just like a handful of the compass Like I have versions of of the that song with a full band with drums, electric. I played a lot of acoustic guitar. Oh wow! Definitely more of a a um, full band vibe on these songs, which I still actually think are cool tracks. They've never seen the light of day. Nobody's ever heard them, but but they uh, but they happened. And uh, I went in with this guy named Vance Powell, who's kind of a legendary. Uh, who is a legendary engineer here in Nashville. And um, and we just recorded, you know, in Studio A, like RCA, the big live room, recorded these, these kind of live um, fun tracks. And at the time, it's interesting because I feel like I was just getting too much input from people around me, um, be it whatever, record label, management, friends, somebody like my mom, who like my parents are so not stage parents, but like, you know, I played something for my mom. And even, even today, my mom's like, this is some of my favorite stuff you ever done. And she's not really somebody like, just like, my parents don't sit around and listen to my music all the time. <laughs> I know they're proud of me, but like, they're, they're always like realists, you know, or whatever. But I remember my mom just like really loving this, this stuff. But then getting some pushback from the record label and feeling like, you know, I think they were worried it was too different than what I had done, but were excited that I was trying to go a different direction and not make a bluegrass sound. But anyway, I just, all that, that's kind of all water under the bridge, but I ended up feeling a little just like I got to a place where there were just too many cooks in the kitchen. And I didn't know what I really felt about it. And so I was just, I just had to kind of put it on pause for a minute. And it it's kind of a, you know, not that I'm like, somebody that really goes through dark times, but it just kind of felt like a dark period of just stress and not really knowing what I was supposed to do. And I was just so ready to work on music. It was the first time really feeling like I had written songs that I needed to put out there for lack of better 
explanation. I think, um, like the songwriting felt important to me on this record and, and wanting to like think about things that I, I'm, I'm still really proud of my first two records and I can go back and listen to them. And of course there's certain things I'm like, I sound like, you know, baby Sierra and I can already go back and listen to things on 25 trips and think, Oh, I would have done that differently. I think that's just the nature of being an artist, but you know, I'm proud of those records and I'm proud of some of the songs that I wrote on there especially considering the age I was, but like, you know, I, I felt like weighted mine was really the first time writing from like this real honest kind of place. Not that it wasn't honest before, but, but it's different. It was like, it was honest in the way that like I was putting forth uh, what I knew how to put forth at the time. And with weighted mind, it really felt like a more vulnerable thing. And so to kind of put that out there and then get a little bit of pushback. It's just, it's a tough place to be, sort of. So anyway, I, um, but, you know, you got to have thick skin as a, as a musician. Um, I remember one, one particular person saying to me, um, which I would never name names, but like somebody that I, I love and respect um, in the, the uh, label um, that said, you know, Allison, Krauss, who of course has been my hero and mentor of sorts. And I've always been, you know, compared to her in some ways, but, um, said, you know, Allison has always, she's had a perfectly amazing career without ever writing any of her own songs, which to oh. say that about what I was working on for weighted minds oh, felt boy. like the biggest stab in the heart to me because it was like that, like, I didn't want to just make an album that's like, here's me trying to shred mandolin. Not that I've ever made a record that I feel like is that the forefront. Um, but you know what I mean? It's like, mm-hmm. yeah. I just felt like everybody kind of knows I'm, I'm two records in at this point. Everybody knows for years that I play mandolin. That's what I do. But like, there's this other kind of part of me that I, I just kind of like I said, of having songs like Stranded and, and the Queen of Hearts um rural tea section and just these different things that, that they've been with me that whole time. I just hadn't really felt like I had an opportunity to put them out there. And then I'm finally kind of in this vulnerable place of trying to put it forth. And then, you know, somebody says something like that to me. And so it just, whatever, everybody's, it's, it's not a big deal, but it's just like certain things between that. And then I've got other people going, this is the most incredible thing you've done so far. I just kind of went, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I need to take, I need to like, I need to like back up a minute because now I'm like just, you know, on one hand, I'm feeling all vulnerable and self-conscious about what I'm trying to do and maybe it's not the right direction. And and then on the other hand, it's like, well, maybe this is extremely bold and needs to happen and whatever. So anyway, I kind of got away from it and like um, even like Allison had come in and sang on my version of Wings of the Dawn uh that might've been the only one on the original tracks that I produced mm-hmm. with Vance Powell engineering, the full band tracks. And, um, I ended up just like going over to her house and like, basically just like having this whole, you know, <laughs> therapy session, basically. Just like, I don't even know what I'm doing right now. And like, uh, and <laughs> woe is me trying to figure out my life. And, uh, and I remember like, she she said, well, I, I had said I was trying to produce myself at the time. I felt like, you know, I was ready to produce my record. But but then with all this stuff happening, I just kind of felt like I need a teammate in this. And so I told her, I was like, I I really need somebody to, that at this point, the only way that I feel like diving back in, like it was sort of like I was faced with either I'm going to start over 
completely and just scrap these tracks, so to speak, and try to build another record um, or try to finish what felt like half of a record that was done and, you know, adjust with what that would look like. Um, and so, so I was like, we were just discussing producers and like, I just said, I, I just, at this point, I think I want to bring somebody in to just produce, produce this record. I think it's the only way I'm going to feel good about moving forward. I need a teammate in this, but you know, I want somebody that really understands what it is I'm trying to do here. And that's hard to put into words sometimes. Like, like to tell somebody this is exactly what I'm trying to do. Yeah. And you found the right person, it seems. <laughs> To produce it. Well, and so, well, so Allison said, Allison said to me, it's all her, like, honestly, this was her idea. She said, you know who I think would be a good producer for you? She said, I think he would be a great vocal producer and there's nothing musically he doesn't understand. That was literally her quote. And I was like, who? She said, Bela. And I was like, huh. And truly, I hadn't thought about Bela because, you know, this felt like the record that I'm trying to not be misinstrumentalist on necessarily. You know, I just wanted to put my songs forth in the best possible light. And she said, even if he uh, doesn't want to produce it, because he doesn't really produce much beyond his own records, but she had remembered a a couple records he had produced, like for Mara O'Connell back in the the day. And and so she was like, "I, I think that he would be at least somebody good for you to go talk to and play some of your stuff and just see if he has any advice for you, even if he doesn't want to produce the record or doesn't have time like you should maybe just like go pick his brain so I was like oh okay well I didn't know Bela extremely well like we were acquainted um but you know we weren't on like a let me just call up Bela and be like yo (laughs) 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 text him (laughs) and so yeah so anyway I had I had uh I had thought about it and that was kind of in the back of my mind but you know again I didn't really know for sure if that made the most sense but it was still in the back of my mind you know thinking hmm, that's an interesting idea to say the least and it would be cool to work with a hero like that and so Lo and behold, I ran into Bela at IBMA in the lobby and, or no, actually, uh, I was at the award show. This was only like a couple months later. It hadn't been that long. And somebody taps me on the shoulder and I turn around and sitting right behind me is Bela and Abby. Oh, wow. So, and then he did, and so they're like, hey, Sierra. And I turned around and I was like, hey. And I thought, just who I need to talk to. <laughs> <laughs> So then I ran into him again, um, like in the lobby or something at the hotel at IPMA, like the next day. And then I was like, hey, you know what? I was like, I've actually been, because he said, what have you been into? And and I was like, I actually have been meaning to reach out to you. And I just kind of told him, like, I was working on this record. I had started it. I was halfway through, but at this point, wasn't sure if I just wanted to start over. And like, I'm just, you know, wondering if, if you might be down to hear some of it. And I didn't really mention anything about producing at that point, but we just started um, talking about it. And so he was like, yeah, come to my house and let's talk about it. So anyway, so like that next week or whatever, I went over to his house and, and played him. Um, or I think I sent him a couple things that he could listen to beforehand. Uh-huh. And he was really complimentary of it. It's all really well recorded. Everybody played great on it. But the thing that I think that he really tapped into, which was really smart, I think is that he said, the stuff is all really great and I think people would like it. But the thing is, is like, I don't feel like the thing that really 
set you apart from everyone else that I'm, I'm not hearing that in it. You know, I was playing a lot of guitar. He said, I feel like this could be, um, not, not that it could just be anybody, but like, you know, what is it? Like, I would like to hear what it would sound like if it was just you. So it was a song compass I had recorded on guitar, like the main riff I had written on guitar and had played guitar on that early version. And I just remember him saying, can you play compass? Uh, will you just play that for me on the mandolin? And I remember feeling so nervous, like, <laughs> Oh my God, am I really about to play? No, I really about to play solo right now. Something I didn't do a whole lot mm-hmm. for Bela and like, it just felt so vulnerable. I thought the whole experience was vulnerable anyway, but I was just like, okay. So I'm like, you know, I thing and he goes, he goes, see, he's like that. He's like that right there is the thing that I think makes you different than a lot of the other singer-songwriters. He said, there's a lot of people who play guitar and sing and just because he said, but I've not really heard like a singer-songwriter album that's like mandolin in voice. He was like, what if you just did that? And then I was kind of like, oh, what? <laughs> like, just me? Like, nobody's going to want to hear that. Like, you know, that's my first thought. But I was like, but really? Bailey Black is telling me he thinks this this could be a value? I don't know. It was like really encouraging to have somebody like that listen and 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 I think just like tell me that maybe I'm enough yeah. as I am. Oh, if that's that makes great. sense. I know that Absolutely. sounds like oh 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 but but I think like you know, we spend a lot of time uh as musicians analyzing ourselves and criticizing ourselves and feeling like, you know, for me I'm I love collaborating with other people so much that like I had essentially produced the songs in a way that like, I love to hear everyone else play so much that I had like, and I was trying not to be Sierra the Shredder on this album, that I, I kind of was giving all of the musical room for expression to most everybody else on the record. And I was just kind of guiding it, but I wasn't really allowing myself on my own record to kind of step forth and say, this is what I'm about, if that makes sense. Yeah, and so totally. I think like for him kind of, kind of, you know, encouraging me to just rethink about these songs in a way that that would be stripped back like that really kind of opened my world and gave me uh, a very vulnerable place to be in for a little bit, but also then just suddenly kind of like opened me up and strengthened me as a musician because I think playing solo and really working on feeling comfortable with that um, is one of the one of the greatest lessons I've gotten, you know, from somebody like him just saying, you know, Hey, take this idea. Like, like this, this is a value or something, you know, rather than feeling like I'm kind of, I don't know, just assigning all the musical responsibility to others. Cause I love the, the collaborating and there's time for that too, you know, but. Well, it shines on your technique, which is incredible. Like, your tone is so good and identifiable, which is tough in this world. I mean, I interviewed Adam Steffi last for this podcast, and and I at least at least once, maybe twice, when he's talking about, I don't, you know, I think of these incredible players, and like Sierra, and I'm just like, yeah. Get, I mean, here's this guy who you listen to as a hero on these Alison Cross records, you know, talking about how incredible your tone is and how incredible of a player you are. 
and you it's it it's, oh man yeah like that's got to be crazy huh <laughs> that's amazing i think that's because you are it is it is crazy because i would not i would not uh well thank you i mean that that means a lot i i feel like um tone is has always been one of the things like the sound of the tone of the mandolin has always been one of the, the main things that has attracted me to the instrument and um somebody like Adam became such a hero to me. I mean, for multiple reasons, not only was he playing on these albums that I love so much, you know, that I was listening to it constantly. So of course there's going to be that indirect influence, even if I had never sat down to actually learn them. But I mean, I guarantee I learned every note of so long, so wrong. (laughs) I learned every note of every time you say goodbye, start to finish those, those mountain heart records Adam played on back when and Adam solo albums he had an album called grateful that i sat down and and learned uh you know it's like i i don't think i i would sound the way i sound without having adam as a hero i don't think you know what i mean so that's like really amazing to have somebody like him so i think obviously you have to try to find your own thing you know and so it's it's not just um, Adam's influence is, you know, plenty of other people's influences, but I would feel like in regards to tone, he's been one of the major, <laughs> major influences to me in terms of like, you know, trying to, um, get the sound that I want out of the instrument. You could definitely find, see that you found like, like, again, like from that first album, like secrets, then you go to weighted mind where the mandolin is so much more present through the whole recording, obviously, because it's only that in bass. You definitely hear the leap in like, like tone. Like you've like, you went from like, oh yeah, obviously influenced by Steffi to like, oh my God, there's so many other things in here. She's got like found her voice. Then you go to this new album, which to me now hearing the story, this all makes sense. Cause even from like the cover to the sounds, it's like, I mean, weighted mind, you can, you can hear that kind of, um, I want to say pressure because maybe that's not the right word, but this new album sounds like this, like I have, I, I'm doing what I want to do now that weighted mind. It seems like maybe gave you that confidence to break free of anything that it was. And now wait at this 25 trips, it is, it's just such an incredible sounding album. great oh man thank you so much i appreciate it yeah it's uh we spent a lot of time just you know working on this record and and trying to dream up what it could be and you know there were so many different ways that we could go about it i think the the freeing thing about um making weighted mind is that it sort of officially sort of set the tone for like okay this is not a record like the first two so the next record may be nothing like the last as well. <laughs> you know what I mean? It Absolutely. gave me an opportunity to just like feel like I, I didn't have to, like I could do anything um, that we wanted to with this record, musically, direction-wise and all that. But um, but there's also like a stress with that too, because sometimes having so many choices 
is like, oh God, you know, there's so many things I love. And that's, that's sort of the weird thing about where I'm at now is just really trying to figure out, you know, which, which direction I really want to invest energy into. Cause I love a lot of different things. And I think that's okay. Um, but it can be a little stressful. Can be a little stressful at times, you know, cause you think about, you think about somebody like Del McCurry, you know, we were talking about him. Um, when we first got on the phone and, you know, love and Dale and just how amazing, amazing he is. And if you go see a, now Dale is so open. I mean, he'll collaborate with anybody, you know, he's, he's very open musically and adventurous in that way, which I think is cool. But at the heart of it, you know, Dale McCurry is a bluegrass legend. And if you go see the Dale McCurry band play, you are going to be hit with some of the most, you know, energetic bluegrass and amazing singing and all that. Like, you know kind of what you're going to get. If you get a Dale McCurry band, you know you're going to have these five musicians going in the studio, maybe a guest or two, but, like, you're going to get this type of thing, you know? And that's cool. That's awesome. There's um, there's something exciting about knowing, like, that you do something really well, and that's what you do, and you excel at it. And, like, they're a perfect example of that, you know? Um but with where I'm at right now, I just feel like um, I don't think I would be content just, you know, I knew I wasn't going to be content to just do another stripped down weighted mind record with my song. That's what I was going to ask. I think I could have, I could have done that. And I, I knew I wouldn't be content to, to make a record that was just bluegrass ensemble again. So it kind of felt like, okay, well, how do I combine a little bit of all these things I love with also pushing into some new, areas that I've not pushed into yet. So I think it kind of in a weird way, kind of this album feels um, like not completely explored because there's still, I think, plenty more for me to explore. I mean, that's the cool thing about being a musician is there always is, but I still feel like there's a lot of things that, you know, I'm dreaming of now that I want to do that we didn't didn't do or didn't have the opportunity to do on the 25 Trips album. Um, but that album to me, the latest album feels a little bit more of like an overview with a foot in the future. <laughs> so like, it, you know, it goes, it it goes back to having some stripped down tracks, kind of like weighted mind in, in, you know, more guitar focused, but everybody's talking or ceiling to the floor, these things where they're very much stripped down. something like escape that's a little bit of the new sonic territory with using the electric mandolin and drums um also like something like how long or even the last minute is just using the bluegrass heroes I love so much.
like Ronnie Bowman sing harmony or just having Stuart Duncan play fiddle. You know, he played on my first two records, so it was fun to be back in the studio with Brian Sutton and Stuart Duncan again and feel like, oh, yeah, we know what to do when we're here. (laughs) This is like there's a there's a sense of like comfort in playing with that ensemble of musicians. That's really great. You know, whereas some of the other things feel very unexplored to me still. So I I applaud you on the production on this album because it's so easy for um, the, the little mandolin to get completely buried in a mix and you've really done a, a incredible job of of having it stick right in like it doesn't get compressed out or or squashed i mean it's where it starts on tunes is in as pianos come in or sax comes in or electric guitar and drums it's still there where you know it should be i think for you know it, it's you know what I mean like it's so easy for that to get lost in a production and you solve some sort of riddle <laughs> that some producers just can't figure out oh man well I have to I have to give you know the majority of the credit I mean anytime you're doing mixes of course like I you know it's a team effort and the tweaking and you know even like playing stuff for my husband and being like what do you think about this you know it's like I, I think you, you need your little circle of trust you know of people that you can play stuff for and and get some fresh ears on it but man Shawnee you know, I have to give her her, her the credit because Shawnee Gandhi, who I worked with on this record, is just an incredible engineer. And um, that was, you know, a big reason I wanted to work with her on this, this album is that I knew that I wanted to um, – well, I say I knew I wanted to. It's not that I just felt like I had to produce myself, but at at some point I just kind of felt like, okay, well, um, you know, I'm I'm not – thinking of anybody just directly that I am just dying to work with just as producer alone. But, but, you know, I knew I needed a good engineer and um, I was thinking about all kinds of ideas and I thought it would be cool to have an engineer that could co-produce this with me. That could really be a part of it from the very beginning till the end to where we go in and the sonic scape of it is really important. I mean, it's always important, but I really felt like with this record, it needed to be because I knew I wanted to layer a bunch of things myself. I knew I wanted to play multiple instruments on some of the tracks or, or stack a lot of my own vocals and things like that. So, um, yeah, I just, I loved the idea of, of working with Shawnee because, you know, she's just, she's just an amazing engineer, but I also, um, it was the first time I'd ever worked with a woman and somebody this close to my own age. So, you know, she's she's just incredible. And we had the best time making this record, too. So, um, yeah, I have to, to give her props, you know. Oh, yeah. You can hear it. This record sounds like a record that was fun to make. Like, this album, it just, yeah, it's got a great <laughs> vibe to it as well. Like, again, Weight of Mine has a great vibe. Um, but this one just seems to be, and again, even like, this, like the super bright album cover, I think is like the perfect um uh, example of what you're about to listen to because it really does have this like really uh, just upbeat air to it and just all the re- like little surprises sonically coming in and out of it. It's it's like a great, great oh, listen. thank you. And a great headphone listen. Oh, man, thank you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and I think I – did I read somewhere too where so, a, a lot of this was just some ideas you didn't – like what you were saying earlier, you, you didn't necessarily know exactly what you were going to do when you went in there. But – um. So like a lot of this kind of just was like, oh. Similarly to this, it's frustrating because this, you know, after a while I start to be like, oh, this just, is this just the pattern of making albums? Like, you know, <laughs> I, just, I really, <laughs> I really um, 
can be my own worst critic. So I'm like sometimes slow to, um, though I'm always like working on music and I'm always, you know, sort of like creating, you know, it's, it's taken me from, like I said, my first album, you know, I was 15 and it's like, I'm just now putting out my fourth album. Um, so, you know, I took like probably four years in between this, uh, the Way to Mind album and this album, and it was uh, like almost five between Daybreak and, and Way to Mind, um, which I don't really, you know, plan on making a habit of that. So <laughs> <laughs> I have so far, but, you know, um, but I just, I don't know. It's like I felt, um, I just, I, I wasn't sure what this record needed to be. So we went in and we actually cut we cut several songs that we ended up going in and, and replacing uh, other songs with them. So we, we basically made a record and finished it and I was still writing. And then we decided to go back in and cut about five more songs, four or five more songs that actually ended up being on the record. So it's funny how sometimes that's just can kind of be the process. I mean, granted we could have just put out, the record before and it's not that I wouldn't have been proud of it but like I ended up writing how long and um ceiling to the floor had already been written but we hadn't recorded that um you know just a, a few song poison we ended up adding poison just have another fun track on the record and just stuff like that you know that um we sort of mixed a couple more serious songs that you know maybe we'll We'll put out there at some point. Yeah, that's a, yeah, <laughs> but, man. You know, it's just, but just, just, just wanting to have uh, another layer of kind of what you're saying, fun on this record. You know, we kind of just felt like felt like that was possible and, and needed, and I was continuing to write stuff. So, yeah, <laughs> we kind of shaped it until the very end. That's for sure. It's great. I can't even. That's like the best word I can find to describe Man, it. Thank you so <laughs> yeah. much. Yeah, you're welcome. Well, I really appreciate it. It's been interesting because you know, I only like with weighted mind it was different, or any record really, it's been different because I've been able to go out and tour it and like talk to people and perform it and feel the reaction from audiences from certain songs or whatever. And with this record, it's like I just you know, it all kind of fell apart with the COVID stuff. So it's like, I, I feel like even though the record came out at the end of February, you know, two weeks later, the world kind of shut down. And so I haven't really had the opportunity to, in some ways, it feels like share this music with people beyond just, you know, the album being out. And so I'm excited to, to actually get to play this music at some point. And um, yeah, I'm excited to see it. I, I, that's why I was when I told you i saw the tour dates on there and i was like oh my god is there a north carolina tour date for real and then when i went to the thing i'm like oh i would have yeah. i was like oh no, yeah, no it's, yeah. Well, they'll come around it'll it'll happen yeah yeah so it'll be fun when we can eventually get out and really share this music and you know stuff changes in a live context too so to see what that feels like what are some of the things that you uh that you kind of work on to uh and you're playing like on a daily thing where you're for your technique and such. I think technique is, is an interesting one because people ask me that a lot. And I, I feel like I have always been very aware of my technique in terms of, uh, you know, like trusting your ear to tell you if something's working or not working and kind of just naturally adjusting. But I wouldn't say that I've ever really been somebody that's obsessed over trying to, 
you know, worry about my technique. I feel like it's just mostly been formed through sitting down playing uh, early on, like I said, trying to take an album that I loved and, and learn it start to finish um, and dive into the, the nuances and go, why, why does Adam Steffi's pull off sound this way when he does that, you know, or why does this slide when, you know, Chris Feely does this or like when Ricky Skaggs gets this really cool, you know, lick or, or hammer on here, why does this sound that way? And just trying to like emulate that. Yeah. And I think there's, there's a, there's a difference in trying to like emulate to the point of where you're just copying and cloning somebody. But at the same time, the only way to really, I think, get good and learn to play is to really study your heroes and try to do what they do as closely as you can. And you're never going to sound just like them, nor should you, you know, mm-hmm, right. because we're our own people. And, you know, Adam Steffi's this, you know, guy with huge hands and tall <laughs> and I'm small. And, you know, it's like it's a different thing, you know. So, of course, there's there's certain things. Like I remember when I first started um, playing mandolin. My first instinct was to play close-handed, but my hand was so small that by the time I reached the pick from behind the bridge, so I wasn't mutant with my palm, mm-hmm. I was kind of close to the bridge. You know, I, my hand wasn't big enough for the pick to actually be several inches from the bridge. It was pretty close because my hand was tiny. And so I started taking lessons from Carl, the guy I was telling you about earlier, and uh, and he would plant... Uh, he would plant two fingers on the base of the instrument. So like he'd have his pinky and his ring finger um, anchored. And so I started doing that, but he would play really far from the bridge, like way up the neck. So the tone would be a little bit more kind of mellow. And, you know, he was certainly the best mandolin player I had gotten to be around at that point and could actually watch, you know, on a regular basis up close. So I was really trying to copy some of his techniques and, and watching Adam play, um, he would he would plant just the pinky, not as far up the neck as, as Adam, but he would plant just one pinky and then like his ring finger and middle finger kind of stick out. <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. play total anchor the whole time. Um, and, and what that means is like there's a lot of arm movement that happens when you anchor like that. Right, right. Um, but for me... Like, so that works for somebody like Adam and he can sound, you know, clean and great with his, his right hand. Um, but then when I try to emulate that, my pinky is so short that <laughs> I can't really span from like E to G without the pick angle changing. Oh, sure. I know we're, we're, we're speaking, we're speaking via podcast. So this is all just, a, if you can imagine what I'm saying, but like, if you have your pinky down and you know, your, your pick is straight for me, by the time I had extended up to the G string, my pick was almost like pointed upward. So I couldn't really, I couldn't keep the right angle and do that technique. So that's the thing that I think people have to think about when you're, when you're trying to emulate what others are doing, like how can you make that work for you, but maybe achieve a similar sound. So for me, it was all kind of going, well, I know that this is the kind of sound I'm after, but like, I'm going to have to change what I'm doing a little bit because physically it's just not going to work for me. So like I started doing a thing where I would plant my pinky. So secrets and daybreaks, both, I would say the, the technique used there was, was anchoring, but not a, a hard plant, 
So I would have like pinky down, but it would kind of move, you know, down and up um, on the instrument to be able to keep the the pick direction the same. Um, And at some point, so I recorded the song Bombshell. meant to be played that fast at first like when I wrote it I was just kind of thinking of it being mid-tempo but then we got in the studio and everything just kept pushing there so we kind of just went well this is what it's going to be so let's just you know let's just play it up tempo Mm -hmm. so uh I would what I realized is after I started playing that song live I would get to that point in the set and I would try to play that song up tempo in my arm my right arm would be so tired oh wow i'd be really worn out from from because it has a lot of um kind of string shifts so like if you're on the g string you might go to the a string rather than going to the d string first you know so instead of going straight down you're like kind of skipping a string and so there's a certain amount of like by the time I'd be trying to do that at any kind of full speed I'd just be really worn out at the end of it so at some point I started trying to go well maybe I need to use more wrist and stop using so much arm on this particular song so I started trying to work on playing close-handed a little bit I say work on it I swear I don't really remember this being like a real conscious decision more just like a I should try this you know like still very um, just, just, you know, having fun with it, trying to figure out if this might be more comfortable for being able to play the song at that tempo. And, uh, and so at some point, I think without even really realizing it, I started playing most things close handed, which is how I would play most everything now, which does sound different. I mean, I can hear the difference in the sound from the secrets album to like, 25 trips or oh yeah I bet. uh even weight, weighted mine and by the time i got to weighted mine i was playing everything close-handed so you know it's a little heavier sound than to anchor mm-hmm. like in that kind of bluegrass way which is kind of kind of cool and and um you know sometimes i can even listen back to that and go huh is that 15 year old tone from me in some ways cooler than like this adult tone i'm gonna oh you know? my gosh <laughs> so, but it's not really anything that I'm like, you know, sitting around super stressing about. I think it's just all been like, you know, evolving as as whatever kind of thing I'm working on evolves. So I realized like, you know, when somebody like, um, like I never would pigeonhole any player because, you know, we all do things differently or whatever. But like, you know, if you really sit down and you learn something like um, – Let's say off of So Long, So Wrong, Little Eyes of Jane. I 
don't know if you ever heard that recording. Oh, yeah. It's like really, yeah, so Little Eyes of Jane, Anastasia. So, okay, learning that as a kid is also a really fast tune, right? So I could play that anchored up to speed if I was anchoring, and it feel fine. But if you think about the way that song's laid out, um, it doesn't really have a lot of string jumping. It's not very cross-picky. It's all very eighth note, and it's like you're on the A string for a minute, you're on the E string for a second. You know what I mean? It's all like kind of more... Um, uh, it's more horizontal, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, no, I see. Like I know what you're saying, the, the, for sure. The direction of the right hand. Okay, but then, like, if I sat down also as a kid and I'm learning to play, you know, Song for a Young Queen by Feely. <laughs> opening track off of uh, Not All Who Wonder Are Lost. Like, that's built all around cross-picking, right? Mm -hmm. So so it's more vertical in a way with the pick direction. So I think, like, for me, my playing lies somewhere in the middle of, I mean, everybody's does a little bit, but I'm just saying my, my playing eventually started shifting into wanting, wanting to have a combo of, like, both of those things and trying to figure out what would allow me to do it um with the most kind of relaxed nature and stuff and and so at some point close playing close-handed just started to feel like I could accomplish uh more of both worlds than just the anchoring and and your picking is so clean as well when you talk about like even like high speeds like you just you've just amazing sounding and again your name comes up so many times in these podcasts as um oh man yeah for sure of just like i mean it's your playing is just so incredible and uh, just the technique the tone the writing it's well-rounded it's it's great so thank you for all the stuff you put out there (laughs) that means a lot i really appreciate it i mean there's so many people i i love and admire yeah well but well, you're definitely one of those people for a lot of other people as well. You know, you definitely, uh, you're definitely one oh, of those people man. a lot of people admire, and 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 you inspire, which is great. That's what it's about, you know. Man, I hope so. You know. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, you do. <laughs> what's the um? What's your main axe right now? I know you've got a few, but I know a lot of people like the gear sort of questions. So what's uh, what's your main your main go to mandolin? Yeah. So I got um. I got a Gibson Master Model built by Dave Harvey in 2009 when it was about a month old, and he made a couple adjustments for me, like uh, made the neck slightly smaller. Um, he scalloped the uh, fretboard so that the it's cut away. You know, the, the extension is cut away, and uh, it's got a little bit of an aged finish. But, I mean, it's still – it was – it was new looking basically when I got it. It's not anymore really. So a lot of times people think it's an older mandolin, but, um, but yeah, that's been the mandolin I've played for the last, you know, 11 years now, almost nonstop. So it's the mandolin I played on all of, uh, I guess all of daybreak and all of, yeah, my last three records, that's basically been the mandolin. Oh, wow. And then you use active mandolin a bit too. Yeah. So I've got a few different octaves. I've got, um, two Webers. I've got one that's a uh, F style. 
that looks exactly like, uh, so I have a Weber mandolin as well that uh, actually Justin plays all the time. So if you ever see him playing mandolin, that's the one he's playing. It's a great mandolin, actually. It sounds really good and, and you know, thick, woody, but it's a fern. And so they built me a uh, an F-style octave. It's the first octave mandolin I ever got um, that looks exactly like the fern mandolin. So it's essentially just the, the big brother of that <laughs> mandolin. Um, and then I have a Weber... Um, like a oval hole bridger, I think is what the model is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's like an oval hole round mandolin. Looks a little bit more like a bazooki. And then I acquired uh, just this past, a little over a year ago now, last February, I think it was maybe, I got a uh, Clark octave and it looks like an arch top. Yeah, it's so, beautiful. Yeah, so it, it kind of looks like an arch top guitar. So yeah. So they're all quite different, really, and uh, and just beautiful mandolins. What about uh, picks and strings? Picks. Uh, so I, for the last several years, I've been using a CAD sixty blue chip, which is the triangle shape. Uh huh. Um, and and then my husband and I were really fortunate that Matt, the guy with blue chip sends us picks and so he sent us uh like a big stock of picks earlier this year and so i got just some of the the tad 60 the the more um triangle shape and then i got for i've been playing a lot of guitar more guitar lately than than i have in the past few years and so he sent me a, a 55 um i guess just a t TD is what it is. It's a teardrop shape. So it's, you know, not the triangle, the teardrop. For some reason, the triangle on the guitar, I just wasn't feeling it. I think it's probably because back when I played more guitar when I was younger, I was using a teardrop. So early on, I, I, Daybreak and Secret, or Secrets and Daybreak were probably using a, a teardrop. And then, you know, Weighted Mind would be using the, the triangle uh, shape pick. But then I just was in the studio like a month ago with Sturgill Simpson recording a bluegrass album. Oh, sweet. And it was weird after, after the first, well, so as far as the picks go, he sent us all these picks. And so he sent Justin, um, some sixties, which what he likes to use on mandolin, the teardrop shape. And so we kind of traded, you know, I'm like, here, well, you take one of these and I'll take one of these. And then we'll, you know, we'll have whatever. So I had one of his, mandolin picks and he had one of my guitar picks um uh it's funny because he puts our names on them and so right now i was in the studio with with sturgill and i was using my normal pick that i would use the the triangle shape and i don't know i just like we're playing traditional bluegrass and it was interesting it's like i just decided i'm not a real gear person to be honest i'm not somebody that obsesses over picks and stuff like that or strings or anything I just tend to find something that works and I tend to stick with it and I don't think about that stuff very much I don't have some big real I couldn't tell you all the specs of all the stuff you know I'm just I just like to I just like to play them you know Uh, but anyway for for whatever reason we were in between takes and we were about to come another song and I just thought hmm I don't know I'm just not feeling I'm just not just I wasn't feeling it so I, I switched picks over to the pick that Justin had given me which was the uh, teardrop 60, same same gauge as mine thickness, but just a different shape. And I ended up the whole week in the studio just using that pick. And I was just like, huh, 
it sounds it sounds different. It really does. It's like um, it's more it's a more sharp kind of thing. The the tone is is just sharper in a different kind of way. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily better, but for certain things, it kind of makes more sense maybe. Sure. So lately, I've just I found myself using a teardrop shape for the first time in years, <laughs> in like six or seven years. I haven't used one. So yes, um, that's what I've been using. And then for um, uh, strings, I'm using the uh, EXP D'Addario strings. And then um, just two more questions here for you. Two more questions. This has been awesome, by the way. I, I um, I for the first time just looked at the clock, and I'm like, holy cow! <laughs> this is this will be a two parter. I have gotten a little long winded here and there, so my apologies for rambling. But <laughs> not at all, man. It's been it's no, please. This is going to be this is legendary. This is uh, yeah. I'll make this a two parter for sure because there's just like, it. This is great. Thank you for taking this time. I really appreciate oh, it. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. I think it's cool that you're doing this. For oh, sure. thanks. So the, so the first question here would be the 10 minute a day question, where if you had 10 minutes to recommend something for someone to work on, it could be anything, you're, could be something you're working on now or just something you would recommend to people. What would you recommend? Well, I think that's kind of a little bit of a load, loaded question for each individual because it can be depending on what you're interested in. Mm-hmm, but sure. one of the main things that I, I can't stress enough to people, and this is maybe I mean, this applies to, I guess, no matter no matter what um, what level you are at playing. But but I really think that sometimes people think if I only have ten minutes, I've got to sit down and I've got to practice my scales and I've got to practice, you know, thinking about my technique, which is important. Don't get me wrong; it is important. But I also think there's like no real replacement for sitting down and trying to like play. It doesn't have to be a fiddle tune. But something like that, like for me, I feel like the most growth came for me as a kid from like really sitting around practicing fiddle tunes. And I don't mean half learning them and playing them 500 miles an hour. I mean, really, (laughs) which which sometimes, you know, happens, I think, because people get eager to play. They go, cool, cool. Now I can play this tune. Bam. But like really learn a tune. And if you sit down to learn something, and it doesn't have to be doesn't have to be a fiddle tune. It could be trying to dive into uh, an album you love or a solo you really love, like something that you really want to learn. Like really give it an honest amount of time and don't just skim over things. I think there's no real replacement for like actually trying to play music, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like I think sometimes people get really hung up in like – I've never had a real good practice routine, if that makes sense. I play a lot and I practice a lot, but it's but it's it's not it's not like in this academic way that I feel like I have to do A, B, and C. And maybe that is what other people need to do. It can be different, but I also think it's important to if you've only got ten minutes, those ten mi- minutes need to be something that you are so invested in that you're excited about what you're sitting down to play that you're going to give it like a hundred percent of your attention and you're not just going to be like, oh yeah, whatever, nonchalant, noodly. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think that there's a difference in that kind of like focused attention to whatever you're working on versus, you know, just um, either being bored to tears because you feel like you have to, like you think that you have to work on this. Like I hear people sentimes ask me stuff like, I'm working on my pentatonic scales or whatever. And it's like, well, that's cool. But like, can you play any tunes? 
Because, like, right. you know, right. the whole point of trying to learn to play is to eventually be able to speak the language. And I feel like learning tunes or solos is so, so learning scales is kind of like what you're, it's kind of like you're learning the notes of the instrument, you're learning your ABCs, you know. But you, if you just play a scale in the middle of a solo, that doesn't really sound like you're making music, right? You need to know where this stuff is at. So I'm, I'm, in, I'm in no way discouraging anybody from working on these things because they're very important. But I, I think that you need to allow yourself the liberty to actually sit down and think that it's okay. Maybe you don't know, you know, your pentatonic scales or this arpeggio or that arpeggio, like whatever. But, you know, actually learn to to play some music, to play some tunes and stuff, because I think that um, it's like learning learning your alphabet and then you slowly learn some words. And then you got to learn to be able to speak full sentences and put put them into music, you know? And so I think learning tunes is kind of like when you start to actually learn to say phrases and sentences and, and those things, you know, especially if you ever want to be able to improvise, I think are invaluable things to learn, you know? For sure. Like learning hundreds of tunes if you can. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I love theory. I'm a, like, I think it's all cool and I love working on it, but I can't think of any time ever where, um, like I've ever had anybody come to sit in with me or anything like that. That's ever said, like, are you playing a flat seven on this part here? If they start with that before we even start jamming, I'm always like, Oh no, <laughs> this is going to be like, cause you know, it's, just, <laughs> it's not musical now. It's just like, let's just have fun and make a conversation. It's cool to have that. And I love it, but it's, it, I don't, I, it, the minute you think about it. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I wish, yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I wish that as a younger person, I, I wasn't around anybody that read music. I was just all around like, you know, rural musicians in Tennessee that, you know, jammed and maybe played music in church or played played music at the local gym or whatever, you know. And and so it was all very, you know, casual and and I I do sometimes wish, especially with how broad my interests are at this point, that like and I've gotten better at it for sure, but like that I could just easily sit down with a pen and write all my music out if I wanted to and that that wouldn't feel like some long endeavor for me mm-hmm. you know that's something mm-hmm. that I am working on and I spend some of my time doing at this point in, in my life too so I think it's all good and necessary and like I said I, I wish that was you know something I had cultivated even more as a younger person but I just think that you know for most people that maybe do only have 10 minutes a day because music is a hobby but they want to become good at it you know and they're not mm-hmm. able to invest you know 10 hours a day in it or whatever you know make sure that those 10 minutes are just spent passionately is all i i guess am i trying to say and if that is you know understanding theory that's cool too that's cool too but just make sure that you know you're actually able to translate that onto your instrument in a way that is musical yeah Ah, perfect. And now um, you're not much of a beer drinker, so this this works out good because the gentleman that I did an interview with yesterday, <laughs> Mike Marshall, he um, ah! yeah, I was like, and actually this will work good too because I'm interviewing Wayne Benson, so I'll do the same thing for you. But I asked Mike if he had a question for Sierra Hall, and he was like, Sierra, and then he said, ah! ask her if she's ever popped a squirrel. gosh that's so funny yeah that's a little inside joke 
this one spans back to the mandolin symposium, the, the good old days of the mandolin symposium when I got to to be on the staff uh, one year there. Did he explain anything? No, of nope. He just said she'll know what I'm talking about. I don't even. I. I <laughs> I don't even remember where this started, honestly, other than I'm a very Southern girl. And at some point we were just talking about, you know, something silly about somebody shooting a squirrel. Like somebody said something about shooting, like going squirrel hunting. Uh-huh. And, and, uh, they asked me, they, they asked me if I'd ever, <laughs> if I'd ever been squirrel hunting. And I was like, oh gosh, like, no, not in a long time. And I was, I said, it's been a long time since I've popped a squirrel, um, <laughs> And of course, then that became the phrase. That became the phrase. Oh my gosh, that's the best. <laughs> that's, that's all I remember about it. But they died laughing, and that's now that's like the thing that that group of people always says. When's the last time you popped a squirrel? Oh <laughs> my god, that that's so funny. <laughs> so, um, well, I'll tie this up. I'll ask you the Wayne Benson question off offline here, real quick. But let me wrap this up by just saying thank you so much. It, this has been an absolute pleasure talking to you i've been a fan of your stuff for for years and years and years and i'm just just seeing the progression that you're on i'm like excited for the future to see what kind of stuff you you put out because it's just it's not been disappointing at all and just every release has been just incredible i think so thank you so much for taking the time man well thank you for having me on here it's been great to chat with you and uh it's cool you're chatting with all the my mandolin friends and, and heroes. So I look forward to, to tuning in as well. Awesome. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks for tuning in to part two with Sierra. And as promised at the beginning of the podcast, here's a song featuring Sierra Hall by Corey Wong, and it's called Western Winds. Cheers, everybody.